And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Marini's Media. The heating's on, it's getting darker earlier and earlier, so why not cheer yourself up this November with a subscription to The Athletic for just £1 a week. For only 100 of your English pence every seven days, you'll get unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, plus a breaking news service and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts. Sign up today at theathletic.com slash totally. Totally Football Show. Colour me as sickly green as Greg Gaff's in latest FA blunder. Elsewhere, Euro playoffs. Scotland and Northern Ireland prepare to make big life choices that will shape their summers. There's a return of the absolutely necessary Nations League, a big weekend in the WSL. And does wood rhyme with mud? Robbie Fowler thinks so. This is the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Fowler. Welcome in, listener. Totally coming to you slightly earlier than normal so we can look ahead to those big Euro playoffs on Thursday. But who is we? Well, I'm Matt Davis-Adams, continuing to keep the seat warm for Jimbo for just a little while longer. I'm joined by Dominic Fifield of The Athletic and its non-award-winning Chelsea podcast, Straight out of Cobham. Hi, Dom. Hey, Matt. How you doing? I am very well, thank you. Uh, Lindsay Hooper, BBC Final Score, PL on Prime, Premier League Productions, The Offside Rule, Fingers in Pies, basically, uh, also <laughs> joins us. Hi, Lindsay. I thought that list was never going to end. I thought you'd gone through my backdated CV. It's good to have options. It's good to have <laughs> options. That's one thing we found being self-employed in 2020. Um, yeah. And last but first, when it comes to stats, at least, it's Opta's own Duncan Alexander. How are you doing, Duncan? Hello, Matt. I'm good. How are you? All right, yeah, still sort of revelling in Forrest's momentous victory over Wickham. Uh, well, we had more shots on target, that's the real quiz. So. Yeah, well, certainly for you it is, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm afraid, away from the uh, joviality, we'll have to talk about Greg Clark first up. The former FA chairman appearing before a parliamentary hearing with members of the Department for Culture, Media and Sport to explain the effect of the pandemic on English football and the FA's less-than-stellar response, as well as Clark's own murky role in the abandoned project big picture slash power grab uh, Clark ended up offending everybody talking himself out of a job with a bunch of statements that range from calamitous to just plain offensive and wrong again this is the guy who was chairman of the FA when he started talking to the committee uh, there is a big old explainer on the athletic we'll talk through some of the low lights now though uh, first of all he used the term coloured to describe players of non-white ethnicity he went on to say if you go to the IT department at the FA there's a lot more South Asians than there are Afro-Caribbeans they have different career interests uh, he continued what I'd want to do is know that anybody who runs out onto the pitch and says I'm gay I'm proud of it and I'm happy it's a life choice and I've made it because my life is a better place uh, for no particular reason he also offered a theory on the supposed difficulty of getting young girls to play in goal young girls just don't like having the ball kicked at them hard We'll hear what the guys think about it shortly. But first, let's hear what Tyrone Mings had to say. He was giving a press conference ahead of England's upcoming games whilst Clark was in the process of being removed from his position. That phrase um, may have been acceptable once upon a time. Um, but I think with, the, with what is going on in the world, probably highlights uh, those comments today, probably highlight even more than I could, even more than what the code can, even more than what... Um, players or staff can, that, that we still got a long way to go. Um, I don't think there's any shame in that, but we evidently we still have a long way to go, both in our um, association, but in wider society as well. Uh, Dom, he's got previous for this, hasn't he, Greg Clark? His, his appearance during the investigation into allegations of racism within the England women's team in 2017 went similarly badly. Yeah, he had suggested that that was fluff um, when he was appearing in front of that particular DCMS um, select committee. So he obviously doesn't have a very good record when he goes in front of these groups of MPs. Um, it's desperate, to be honest. Um, Clark's supposed to be at the helm of an organisation that's at the, the vanguard of uh, 
uh, equality issues are that they, they've literally just the last couple of weeks launched a, a new diversity code with the aim of attack of, of tackling racial inequality um i think the fa and i think tyro mings actually spoke about that in that press conference yesterday as well the fa are making progress behind the scenes and it's almost a case of probably having to separate the FA and the people working there, the vast majority of whom um, completely clued up with what, what they're what they're attempting to tackle and, and, and change, and Greg Clark, because everything that he said when he was in front of those MPs was a, a throwback to a, to a period in history and, and, and in fact a language from history that we shouldn't really ever be uttering again. It's so strange, Duncan, isn't it? The, the fact that he was so casual in the way that he tossed out these things it makes it feel like you know it, it, it's not something that he even considered that's that's just what he thinks it's the fact he seemed kind of almost unaware as he was doing it the the hole he was digging himself into you know? and i saw a few people say well people of that age you know that they haven't really you know got to terms with with this sort of language you can and can't use but you know he's he was born in the late 50s he's younger than three of the four members of new order it's not like he's some guy from the the 19th century he I, you know he was in his early 30s in the in the late 80s early 90s it's not it's not impossible for him or someone of his generation to realize that you know all the things he said were, were wrong as he was doing it that was the kind of most surprising thing i think um and yeah like dom said I, I, the fa as a whole is is full of really brilliant people but I think we see a lot of kind of figureheads that that kind of probably never really get challenged on stuff. And you know, going to the going to Parliament is probably the most nerve-wracking thing they'll do uh, all year. Um, and yeah, maybe they panic a bit, but it's just unacceptable. Yeah, you almost wonder if the fact that he was appearing at this committee from his own house had made him sort of a bit too relaxed and a bit too liberal with his with his words. But Not when he's got maybe. previous, though. Surely. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Um, Lindsay, a lot of people seem to be saying, well, this is an opportunity for the FA to change things and go for for somebody younger or, you know, somebody black or maybe even a woman to, to replace Greg Clark. Is is that going to be enough? Is, does it need to be something a bit more systemic and, and deep rooted than that to sort of force actual change? Well, I think Tyrone Mings touched on that when he was answering, by the way, countless questions. He didn't shy away from one of them. And he I thought he was fantastic in how he stood up to that and addressed all of the points that were that were thrown at him. And he did say in within that, you know, that would be great if they were the right person for the candidate. And I think I think everybody thinks the strongest candidates for the job should get it, the people that are most equipped for it, most experienced. And hopefully the opportunity is there for that to be someone from a minority, whether that be ethnicity or gender. Um, But I would say that the door up until this point has been pretty closed off to that for the very, very top job. and And it shouldn't be any longer. Look, you know, with with the Greg Clark situation, I felt that everyone, including us talking right now, we should always be open to being re-educated because the world moves at a fast pace. And it just stank of someone that's not been open to being re-educated um, and hasn't even, in a, in a job of that responsibility, tried to. You know, that, that's how much of a dinosaur it came across. That's how old-fashioned these views were. And even if those are things that you used to think once upon a time, even though it, you know, it's horrible to think like that, but even if it was you are in a position whereby you need to read up, you need to be on top of of where the world is. And he just wasn't. And, and that is something that this next person cannot be. You know, they have to, even if they come in at this level and completely across everything, they've got to move with the times and keep re-educating themselves. Because I think we're all going to have to do that. There's a long way to go. We know with racism, certainly still is as well with gender. I think ageism is probably something that's going to come up over the next few years. I think that's probably a bit of a problem in some areas. There's always going to be something and we need to make sure that whoever is in these top jobs are on top of it. I think maybe something slightly encouraging, Don, was the fact that, you know, from what you read, Clark rang around some of his, his pals within the FA and tried to canvas some sort of support and was immediately rebuffed in that, which you would like to think means that people within the organisation realised that he'd done something badly wrong rather than just, oh, now you're toxic, so we're not going to touch you now. Yeah, you'd like to think that. And I imagine that within the, the FA, there was a sense of 
of dismay that this this had happened and that an organization that is trying to change and has instigated its code in the hope that the sort of systemic problems that have have affected the game at that level over uh, well, it, throughout its history really will be changed in the future and 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 the fact that their chairman goes out and completely overshadows that by making a fool of himself um on a zoom call um that will have hurt them i i also wonder though whether he had lost a lot of support within the fa for his sort of tacit on the quiet involvement in project big picture i imagine that there were political reasons as well uh, that he, he he didn't generate much support amongst his colleagues as well on that on that front and that had clearly hurt him but you know let's 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 put it into into proper context what he said alone yesterday would made his position completely untenable yeah absolutely um duncan before we move on from this i, I just wonder if this kind of thing adds a bit of credence to, to that idea that gary neville and, and his group floated a couple of weeks by that the independent regulation is the only way forward for British football that that seemed to die on the vine really quickly was there maybe some some weight to it after all possibly I mean you could imply that to to all sports you know you look at um you look at the Olympics you look at uh the UCI the cycling you know federation often federations can tie themselves into you know a bit of a stake because they're they've got a lot of fingers and a lot of pies and I think you know the FA is obviously one of the oldest sports organisations in the world and I think that's um, po- possibly hampered them for some time but um, yeah it's a, I think we're in a period where a lot of uh, a lot of ideas are going to come up uh, be dismissed probably revisited um, and I think that's definitely one of the stronger ones well one dinosaur's lost his job this week. Good job that Gunnosaurus has been back at work then. Um, I don't know about you, listener. After that, I need the palate cleansing interlude that only a brief flash of audio can provide. Producer Charlie, hit the sting. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Right, let's look at those crucial playoffs coming up on Thursday. Then eight teams looking to bag one of the four remaining spots at Euro 2020, which is happening in 2021, probably. Uh, We'll start with Serbia against Scotland. Scotland heading to Belgrade. Uh, Should they win, it would be their first appearance at a major tournament since 1998. Duncan currently enjoying the accompanying Delamitri banger in his head. I'm fairly sure of that. (laughs) Um, Even without supporters in the stadium, this is a a tricky tie to put put it mildly, not least because Serbia will actually be able to call on Sergei Milinkovic-Savic and Alexander Kolarov after all. Who'd like to tell us why that is? Yeah, they were obviously they play in Syria, um, and the situation in Italy at the moment is. Uh, I imagine it was much like an episode of MacGyver. They had to like get out of the country before you know the clock stopped, um, and it looks like they did it. I mean, whether they'll be allowed back in is another question. So uh, yeah, um, but yeah, that that is a bit of a blow for Scotland because I I know you'll get you know people in Scotland particularly people that work with the football team saying, oh no, we don't want to, we don't want to, you know, an easy route to the, to the Euros. But I mean, I think most fans would say, yes, please, uh, any advantage <laughs> they can get. Um, Lindsay, the, the form book usually stays inside the window in games like this. That might favour Scotland then. They're unbeaten in eight. Serbia just one win in six. Is, is that going to be a factor? Well, I suppose you can look at it that way. Uh, You know, Scotland have a run of four consecutive wins, but their last meaningful win over a team that's been ranked above them in world rankings goes back to 2007. That was in Paris against France. And so they don't have uh, a great record of showing that they can beat sides that are ranked above them, which Serbia are. I haven't got Grant Hanley or, or Ryan Fraser for this game, but the likes of Kieran Tierney and Stuart Armstrong will be available. That could be pretty big for them, Duncan, because they're, they're two, two big players, Armstrong in particular, in, in really good form at the moment for Southampton. Yeah, he's looked brilliant. Um, I also think John McGinn is a, is a big shout. He's been involved in seven goals in his last four appearances in, in the qualifiers. Um, obviously had that goal cruelly ruled out at Arsenal. Uh, on Sunday, um, not that it hampered Villa much, but um, yeah, he's looking back to the form that he he sort of started the Premier League uh, last season. So uh, for me, if he can get a bit of space, um, particularly you know edge of the box, I think it gives Scotland a chance. And like you said earlier, you know this could be a one nil uh, scrappy win, but it's a playoff, so that's what you expect really. Yeah, and um, Scotland not massively fond memories of playoffs. You were there when they reached the playoff for Euro two thousand and four, won the first leg. 
by a goal to nil against the Netherlands. The, the, the second leg even less impressive than your 45-minute cameo for the Scottish press team on that trip. And marginally. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that was... I mean, that, looking back, I, I went back and had a look at the, the team that they played against the Dutch in that second leg. I mean, bear in mind that at Hampden Park, I've never known an international fixture with, a, with, with as much of a din inside the stadium at the time. It was absolutely incredible. James McFadden scored the only goal in the deflected shot. What an exchange with Darren Fletcher! James McFadden for Scotland! 21 minutes gone! Can you believe it? And they won 1 0, and the whole of Glasgow scene was up all night, basically. Um, I, we, I was staying in a central city hotel, and the fire alarm went off at 3 a.m., and I sort of potted outside in a dazed state, having written copy until quite late. And um, was standing in the square and, and literally it was it was like it was in the middle of a I don't know a middle of the afternoon every there was it was the whole city was alive and they, they genuinely thought they had a a really really good chance of of getting to those finals and then and then the Dutch steamrolled them so brutally in in Amsterdam it was I mean the the tide has felt it felt dead by half time. It was it was it was ridiculous. It ended up six nil. But look at the Dutch team: Van der Sar, Reisiger played, Van der Meijer, Van der Vaart, Philip Koku, Schneider, Davids, Overmar, Van Nistelrooy, Kluivert came on, Mackay, Robin, and Van Ooydon didn't even get off the bench. I mean, it, that they lost that first leg in itself was remarkable. But unfortunately, that that first game was really the high point of Bertie Verks' his, his time in charge of, of Scotland because it went rapidly downhill after that, and I mean, he, the people lost faith in him very, very rapidly in the in the in the time that followed that that fixture. Um, and that press game, you were served at oh, half time really? after a, a, an ignominious performance at left back. Well, I it, yeah, but you know, we were up against really good opponents in Moldova, <laughs> um, and uh, I don't have a left foot. I don't even stand on it, um, to be honest. And uh, yeah, I got—I think we were four 0 down at half time, and I'd been at least directly responsible for at least two of those. I think one of them was just a back pass from a, well, no, a pass from my centre half, which I just—I just sort of fell over, and the bloke just nicked it. I've never known they were so quick. Anyway, we lost six <laughs> two, and I and I was I was known affectionately as that English something or other for the rest of the trip, and never played again for them. <laughs> Lindsay, interesting. Steve Clark had a, a decent club managerial career I think in England if not spectacular he never managed to get to an international tournament with Scotland as a player but but he's on on the brink of going down in folklore isn't he more than more than 20 years since they qualified for a tournament if, if he's the man to do it he won't be buying drinks in Glasgow anytime soon no, he'll have a key to the city and well, key to the country, won't he? Um, I think when you look at the the squad for Serbia, there are some positives for Steve Clark to take. And he is a very wise tactician, so he'll he'll do his homework as well on, on the players that he's coming up against. And although there is some bad news, like you say, that there's this core of the squad that have had success at the under-19 Euros and the under-20 World Cup um, that are going to be there and have managed to, to get out of Italy in time, there's also... Philip uh, Duncic, who's going to be absent because of COVID-19. And then there's Alexandra Kolovic that's got a back injury as well, which are going to be two uh, big absentees. He's also going to know about the threat that Alexandra Mitrovic poses. Um, and we, we've seen that he hasn't been amongst the goals as much at Fulham. But in terms of on the international stage, he's been pretty spectacular 36 goals in 59 caps but the the good thing is Liam Cooper um has faced him many times hasn't he playing for Leeds this season so I think he'll know the measure of him um that's a positive I, I think the thing is you go back to the World Cup playoffs and how their hopes were dashed there when Gordon Strachan was in charge and the only thing that's whirling around in my head is if you remember those quotes from Strachan he was talking about when they played Slovenia and the height and strength of that side and it's something that started to be talked about about this team as well for Serbia their height and their strength and I was like oh oh, deja vu are we going to have that um but no I think Steve Clark if anyone can do this it will be him that will will do it with I I honestly think that they've got every single chance because uh, when you look at the record coming into this it will be narrow I agree with Duncan it might just be a one nil but I, I think they they could get the measure of them Tom, I'm kind of spitballing here, but I just wonder if Steve Clark's maybe more suited to international management because his, his reputation, 
you'll know from his time at Chelsea, was as, as an excellent coach. I wonder if it's that side of, of the game that he excels at rather than the other aspects of management that you need to do as, as a day-to-day boss of a club team that maybe you don't have to do so much with an international side where you're focusing more on, on tactics and preparing for opposition than, than anything else. Yeah, that's, yeah. I take your point on that. That's 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 fair. But then I, I also imagine that that Steve Clark will have enjoyed a training ground and working with a regular group of players, a, a Premier League squad, whatever, for a prolonged period of time. And 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 that's probably where you where you actually you get to to sort of forge those those tactics and get the philosophy over in in the club. Um, at, at club level, you can't really do that in international football because you simply don't have the time with with the players, and you might you might be limited to to a handful at most training sessions and the odd tactical preparatory session um, in a like a, almost like a classroom environment. So I, I imagine he misses that. But I think he needed this because it had gone a bit stale, um, possibly at club level. Like, we shouldn't forget that he, he, had, he led West Bromwich Albion to a, a really high finish, a top 10 finish in the Premier League. I mean, they were, they were quite dour to, to watch and, you know, they were very much a defensive defensively organized team they weren't flamboyant in any way but they were really effective and uh, you know his his sort of fall from grace from from there has been had been quite stark and and, and quite noticeable but but this is a real opportunity for him he, he as as Lindsay said he, he, he can be a national hero here um and I quite like the way he's he's treating this I know he's, he's probably just saying this publicly because behind the scenes he'll know that everything really rides on on Serbia but but he's also conscious that the Nations League fixtures that follow and, and and finishing at the top of that group or as you know as close as they can to the top of that group in the Nations League will will have an, a, a knock-on effect for their for their their ranking and you know which pot they're going to be in for the next draw and and it's almost like he's got this long-term vision that he knows he's got a progression here to get Scotland back into contention more regularly to qualify for major tournaments and you know the signs are promising. It's not always a great watch. That you know it can be again quite dour, but it's organised. And you know if it gets them past Serbia and into a major tournament, then they'll take that. Well, it's not just Scotland looking to beef up UK involvement in Europe. <laughs> uh, we'll talk Northern Ireland next. So I'm sitting in the dressing room, got a towel over my head, and I can just hear goal after goal after goal going in. And um, I mean that's that's down to me, that isn't it. Yeah, that was, a, that was a low point, definitely, and big regret. Peter Crouch is pretty good at podcasts, apparently, so he joined Ruby Walsh and Paddy Power himself on the latest from the Horse's Mouth Show to talk about Liverpool's spurs and feeling like a head on a stick. Search Paddy Power on your podcast provider and listen now. Paddy Power. 18plusbegambleaware.org This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Windsor Park will stage a thousand Northern Ireland supporters hoping to make just enough noise to stay within the boundaries of social distancing whilst encouraging the boys in green as they take on Slovakia for the right to join Spain, Sweden and Poland in Group E at Euro 2020 in maybe 2021. And Northern Ireland looking to reach back-to-back Euros after their thoroughly enjoyable, if not goal-laden efforts in France four years ago. Duncan, it's got to have an influence that there are going to be some supporters in the ground for this game you know it's it, even a thousand is it, surely going to make life a little bit easier than it would have been behind closed doors for them yeah you'd think so it's it's a bit weird isn't it because it's really hard to keep a track on where fans are going to be now like you watch a champions league game and i think ren were at home in the first week of the champions league and their ground seemed packed like people just sort of jumping up and down and and you know a thousand fans inside windsor parks what maybe a, a sixth of it or seventh of it maybe and so it will look still look sparse but yeah it should it should help a little bit but I mean you know I don't think players at this level we've seen essentially that footballers can function perfectly well without the without fans there for for me it's more about watching it and you know I'm really a, a huge, even even yeah. with some of the results we've been seeing <laughs> yeah I think I don't think the standard or the quality of, of the football has, has been affected by a lack of fans I think um you know, it's more an experience thing. I mean, I, I am a, a huge fan of uh, a fan background noise because I think I can't really cope with the the raw echoing shouts of, uh, of footballers. But um, but yeah, it probably will help a bit. But it's uh, it's going to be tough. I mean, Northern Ireland um, haven't they? You know, they're very much a team who kind of 
pull it out of the fire at the last minute. They they haven't outshot their opponents if that's a if that's a thing since June uh, last year against Belarus. Um, so it's gonna be back to the wall trying to grind it out um, and maybe go for penalties like they did in the last game. Um, and uh, that's where Barraclough could um, you know do well because obviously he did the classic. Uh, Championship manager special of of actually preparing for the for the shootout and uh, and making specific substitutions. Yeah, it's, and like we said with, with Steve Clark, actually Lindsay for Ian Barraclough, this is a a real opportunity for him to to make a name for himself, and not just with with Northern Ireland supporters. Actually, he's, he's not somebody who'd had a, a particularly storied managerial career before this, and it's not like he's managing a team who win loads and loads of games under him. But he's got this one off match where he can. He can make himself a hero. Yeah, and what an opportunity. I've got to say credit to him as well for the Bosnia game because that penalty shootout, to be able to uh, be at the helm for that for that win after the playoff semi-final was postponed twice due to COVID-19. He's had a lot of replanning and re-evaluating and trying to set up. I think he's had quite a lot thrown at him in this early stage of his managerial career. I mean, five months, isn't it, that he's, he's been there and only two months of, of actually overseeing competitive action. So it, it's going to be interesting. But there was something that Michael O'Neill saw in him. You know, he was appointed as the under-21 boss under him three years ago. And he saw off really fierce competition as well to to get the job. Um, And he will go into an illustrious group if he manages it, won't he? With Michael O'Neill being one of them, Peter Doherty and Billy Bingham, the other two that have managed to get Northern Ireland into some finals. But... Um, I think it, this this match has close written all over it. I don't think there's going to be hardly anything between them. There's not much between them in the in the world rankings, just four places. Um, their their Nations League record is identical. They they've drawn one and had three defeats coming into this, which is which isn't the best. It's a really really tough one to call. And Dom, as, as Duncan's alluded to, it's it's getting goals, which is always the issue for Northern Ireland, isn't it? You know, they're still still having the likes of Kyle Lafferty in the squad hasn't scored for Regina in, in Serie B uh, this season yet. You're looking at people like Josh McGuinness. OK, he got a goal at the weekend, but he's playing in League One this season for Hull. It might come down to somebody like Connor Washington, who's a man in form. But again, he's playing in League One. So you're asking players to, in some cases, put in performances which might be a long way above their, their usual level. Yeah, and 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 again, I don't want to sound like a stat record, but it but it will be about organisation and 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 work, hard work, and and if that is Connor Washington's running up top, leaving the line, and, and maybe Cut Lafferty does have a knack for Northern Ireland um, of coming on and making an impact. Um, his his record is is pretty good for them. He's a bit of a talisman as well for the for the team. You know, maybe this will be his moment. Um, it's I think it's an amazing achievement really given the the quality at their disposal that both Michael O'Neill and, and now Barraclough are finding themselves in this in this position have, have allowed themselves to get into this position to to get to a major tournament when you, when you think that a nation like Scotland hasn't hasn't been there for so long uh, for 22 years 23 years next year and, and and yet Northern Ireland are aiming for their second successive European championships it's it's remarkable and they have a core of players that, he, that they can rely on. Barraclough relies will rely on the the, the Peacock Farrells, the Stuart Dallas, who's had a great start to his Premier League career at, at Leeds. Jamal Lewis is is doing well at Newcastle as well. Um, Johnny Evans is well of experience. Stephen Davis, likewise. I mean, they, there is a core there that that he he knows what he'll get from. I mean, they they are reliable players, and they just need to perform at the at their top level to give themselves a, a good chance in what should be a very evenly contested game against, a, as, as Lindsay says, a side that have ranked very similarly to them. One of them wasn't so reliable, though, was he, Dom? Jordan Jones, because he, he breached the COVID protocol. <laughs> so looks like Nan McGinn will be the winger. Classic 2020 footballer stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, Slovakia, by the way, sacked their manager, Pavel Hapel, five days after their semi-final shootout win over the Republic of Ireland. So who knows what will happen to Stefan Tarkovic, who's the caretaker boss, if they don't get through on Thursday. Um, also on Thursday night, Hungary v Iceland. It sounds like product placement on an ITV2 reality show, but I'm assured it's, um, it's also <laughs> a playoff game. Uh, all eyes on Hungary's star man, Dominic Zabosli. Big shout out to Charlie for making me pronounce that. Uh, including qualifiers, he's already scored four times in the Champions League this season. The teams played at Euro 2016, shared a one-all draw then. 
You know that Marco Marco Rossi has um, tested positive, hasn't he? So he's had to now be separated from the team in quarantine. That was news that was released earlier today. What what an upset just the eve of. I mean, is this going to cause much of a, a rumble in camp? Might cause a thunderclap. Who knows um, <laughs> when Iceland are involved. Uh, Georgia versus North Macedonia is the other one. Both looking to reach their first ever major tournament as independent nations. North Macedonia... We've still got Goran Pandev kicking around. He's the captain, turns 38 next summer. Leeds, Ezgan Alioski is also involved for them. Stop making up names. <laughs> Ezgan Alioski, bless you. Um, <laughs> if, like me, you're wondering when they became North Macedonia, February of last year, they changed their name after signing the Presper Accord with Greece in the summer of 2018. Of course they did. This is because of um, Alexander the Great, isn't it? Because he's obviously... From Macedonia, but isn't it the bit of Macedonia that's in Greece that caused issues? So I might have got yeah, that completely wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> I know. Press record. Um, who's your favourite Georgia player, Duncan? Um, probably the voting system there. I think it's had a big <laughs> wig, hasn't it? So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that stays in. Right, that's the playoffs. Uh, we'll talk the in no way unnecessary in the midst of a pandemic. Nations League next. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. So after a series of very important Euro qualifiers on Thursday night, attention turns to the Nations League this weekend. Has international football ever felt so frivolous? Um, Tom, I wonder if, if you've ever been covering England and, and wondering, what am I doing this for? You know, f- friendlies of little consequence. You, you, were, you were at them for, for many years, but this feels different even to that. Yeah, I, I definitely thought like that quite a long time. A lot of times when I was driving up to St George's Park um, for press briefings um, over the course of a week and the build-up to fixtures, I, I, I'm I'm very lucky to have covered England. I, I, I look back on that with with fondness. To be honest, it took me to parts of the world that I had no other reason to go to, um, whether that be Kazakhstan or Trinidad or you know World Cups and. You know, just just incredible cities in 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 Russia, in South Africa, whatever. I was very, very, very lucky. Um, the, the friendlies thing, yeah, it can great, and and at the moment, given what's going on in the world, it does seem slightly baffling that that we're having friendly fixtures in in these two weeks. Not least with with the congested nature of the of the domestic seasons as well, do these players always need a, another run out? The, the risk of further soft tissue injuries, etc. Um, so, I mean, England-Ireland, for example, on Thursday night, it just makes no sense to me whatsoever, but I'm sure Gareth Southgate will, will appreciate the chance to, to, to try some things, to, to appease some members of the squad that might not be playing in the two competitive games to follow. Um, I just think that the club managers are probably tearing their hair out back home, um, praying that that players don't don't suffer further injuries. Yeah, because Joe Gomez, as we record on Wednesday, has been injured in training. Apparently, could be serious knee problem, and not great for Jurgen Klopp. I wonder though, Lindsay, does that mean that that your mate Connor Cody is now England's most important defender? <laughs> um, he's certainly flying up the ranks, isn't he? I I think Connor. He's very well liked, which is really important as well within the rest of the squad. Some of some of my takeaways from recent matches have been, you know, when he did score, the amount of players that that surrounded him, that were waiting, watching in the background as he was doing his post-match interviews, just says a lot about how well respected he is. And yeah, I think now that he he's really managed to do more than just get the the door ajar. I think he's got his foot firmly in it for the time being. It's going to take a bit of a monster wedge to get him out at the moment. <laughs> the other big news, player wise, was the call up of Jude Bellingham after James Ward Prowse pulled out injured. Bellingham, an actual child, but he does play for for Borussia Dortmund. Um, Duncan, is this just the way it goes with England now? I've seen a fair bit of 
of metaphorical and given the current climate literal hand-wringing but you know he's come through the age groups and that's what Gareth Southgate likes isn't it? Yeah Bellingham is clearly a very very talented player he's hit the ground running in Dortmund you know it's not unusual these days for, for England players to get caught up very young you know we saw it with from Walcott, Wayne Rooney, uh, Raheem Sterling it's it's what happens now I think what slightly rankles for me and, and quite a few other people probably is that is Jack Grealish is now closer to 30 than he is to 20 and he's only got two caps you know he's got fewer caps than Jack Rodwell and he all the numbers suggest he's one of the most effective attacking players in the world at the moment you know however you carve it up whatever metric you look at he he's carrying the ball he's creating chances he's having shots he's scoring goals um now i know that southgate's very big on the system and, and how england set out and, and etc but you know particularly at this time like i'm saying it's not this is international breaks no one's jumping around going yes it's international break let's get Jack Grealish in there to at least excite the country a bit and um, and, and do something unusual because that's, you know, international football really is a kind of um, sort of pale imitation of the of the top level of club game now, um, it, which is different from, from many years ago. And I think, but someone like Jack Grealish could, could kind of, you know, enliven and enrapture the nation. Um, and I really hope he gets not just a run out in the friendly, but a run out in a competitive game as well. Circle of life for the England team, isn't it? Glenn Hoddle, Matt Letizia, Jack Grealish, underappreciated in their times. It's funny, isn't it, how... I mean, this was something that I was probably guilty of whilst covering England as well, but I often got to a point under an England manager's tenure where where I would be supportive, supportive, but supportive. This is going well, this is going well, this is going well. And suddenly I'd hit a wall and it would always be over selection. It would always be over perceived favouritism in some way or or non-selection of a certain player. And I, I mean, I don't, I'm not particularly pr- proud of admitting that because I, mean, I really like Gareth Southgate and I suspect that, and I, I know that he knows best. I'm, I'm sure that he'll, he, he will have his long-term planning, hence, you know, Bellingham being up in this squad rather than, say Ross Barkley, whose form has been brilliant for Aston Villa and he might have warranted a, a call-up under previous England regimes. But, um, well, that doesn't explain why Madison isn't in the squad. Um, th- there is a long-term vision to Southgate and everything he does is is designed for not necessarily the next tournament, but the one after that, even if he may not be in charge at that point. But completely like Duncan, I want to see Jack Grealish as the first name on the team sheet, in these, certainly in these two competitive games. I don't mind so much against the Irish, although he might have extra motivation in that particular game. I'm, um, I'm not sure you will, though, Dom. I mean, but, reading between the lines, you're, I'm getting the impression the whole nation is gripped by Jack Grealish. Mm. We're talking about him a lot. He's making headlines. We've seen the results. We saw what happened at Arsenal on Sunday. But I'm hearing from Southgate that he's talking about Foden. That's... That's where I feel he's getting excited. And, and you know, I'm not taking anything away from Phil Foden. He's had a great start to this campaign. But it, it does feel like there's a disconnect between what all of us are getting excited about and what I hear Gareth Southgate getting excited about. Yeah, and maybe he maybe he sees Foden as somebody that will... He's less of a, I don't know, a free spirit, less less live wire on the pitch. Although that's, that's, that's a bit unfair on Phil Foden, actually, because he's a great attacking talent in his own right. A lot, lot of energy, a lot of skill. Um, Grealish is, I suppose, he's a bit more unpredictable, and, and maybe there's a trust issue there when when Southgate puts him. But look, he's in the squad, so he, he, he just pray that he's not going to be just a a player that they fling on when they they're finding it slightly difficult to break down the, the Belgian or or or, or Iceland, um, or heaven forbid, the Irish. Um, because if we got to that stage, then we're in trouble. To be honest, I just wish he could. I just wish he'd start. I wish his form completely warrants inclusion from the from the start, and 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 he would fit the system. He he does it. He does it. Aston Villa. He's been brilliant for them. He deserves his opportunity. Mm. And he would be frightening as well, wouldn't he, for yeah. Belgium? I'm sure Roberto Martinez would have his knickers in a twist about it because you you look at Belgium and their firepower and the way that they're just free scoring. I think like their last 10 home games, they've scored over 45 goals. And to be able to give them a threat like Jack Grealish, somebody who can do the unexpected would be brilliant. You just hope that it's for that game and and not for the Ireland one. Let's have faith. I mean, hopefully he... Hopefully this will happen. This will be be his window. Let's just keep fingers crossed. But... But like you were saying, it is almost a systemic problem with the country somehow. It's not just a Southgate thing. You know, Bobby Robson came very close to not picking Gascoigne in 1989 and 1990. And it was only a kind of, 
you know, huge clamour from fans and the press to say, look, he is clearly a world-class, brilliant attacking midfielder. We've got to put him in the team. So, And it seems to happen again and again. And I think there is a kind of... There's a deep-seated uh, kind of fear of expressionism that, that probably goes back to, to various uh, issues. Um, and it just, you know, just get him in the team. Well, England play Ireland then on Thursday night. Then it's Belgium Sunday. They're playing Iceland next Wednesday. That game could be hosted in Albania or Germany. This is due to Iceland playing in Denmark on Sunday and the UK government's ban on non-UK visitors coming in from Denmark due to concerns over a new coronavirus strain that has spread from mink to humans. Um, other times, animals have affected football so directly. Brentford goalkeeper Chick Brodie's career ended after a dog ran onto the pitch at Colchester in 1970 and collided with his knee. Uh, 2018, Queen of the South goalkeeper Sam Henderson missed their game with Dunfermline after injuring his shoulder in a collision with a runaway cow. Uh, that took place on his father's farm. There's a loose connection to animals as well. Remember when the, the game at Old Trafford was called off in May 2016 because of a, sus, a suspected bomb? There was a package in the stadium. That was 30 minutes before kickoff that was discovered. I don't know whether you're aware, but the, the bomb disposal experts, when they when they found that device, um, it was revealed it was left by a security company that had been using the stadium to train sniffer dogs. So there is an animal link there too. Mm. I, I had a very early in my career at the guardian um they said they sent me a test i don't this this will be oblivious to most i'm sure but there was a there was a fellow who played in france for Rennes called julian escudet who manchester united were on the, the verge of signing i think he was a left back um but he he slipped whilst walking his dog and uh, strained ligaments in his left knee and therefore couldn't take the medical and never actually got his move and the, the desk decided that because I knew I had a smattering of French that my task was to discover the type of dog he tripped over <laughs> it took me a, a while but we got there in the end apparently it was a Briar sheepdog no less I'm just looking it up now I've forgotten it yeah poor old Julian Escadet oh I really want to know what the headline was Dom uh, it was really tame Guardian one dog bites Manchester United <laughs> all right quite like it <laughs> Uh, elsewhere in the Nations League, Portugal play France on Saturday. Goalless between them in Paris when they met a month ago. It's San Marino versus Gibraltar as well. San Marino have never won a competitive fixture. Gibraltar have won two out of two in Nations League Group D2. Uh, we will, of course, react to those games on Monday's pod. Next today, though, it's a big old weekend in the WSL. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Full weekend of Women's Super League action coming up. The Manchester Derby on Saturday, Lindsay, catches the eye. Uh, United against City, it's a big game anyway, but but particularly yeah. at the moment, yeah, Manchester United, really good so far this season. Only their second in the WSL and, and they're, they're top of the table. Obviously, they, they've spent a fair bit of money on, on bringing in some, some fairly high-profile players, but it's the coach, Casey Stoney, who takes most of the credit, isn't it? Oh, she's been fantastic. And I think the work rate you see in this United squad, we spoke about it on the WSL edition podcast that we do for the Offside Rule this week. Uh, the players, she has their fitness levels to to such a degree that they can handle 90 plus minutes. And they're often doing that. They're grinding out wins by, by staying sturdy at the back and then poaching a goal sort of late on in matches. They've done that a few times. And they've been taking points off the big teams which is why they're top of the table at the moment. And of course, City coming into this after demolishing Bristol City or bottom of the league, uh, 8-1. I mean, don't get me started on that game. It shouldn't have really gone ahead. There's academy players that were drafted in because of coronavirus um, to play for, for Bristol City. So the score doesn't reflect really maybe the squad that they would have played, but I think they still would have been convincing winners. But, you know, they'll go, they'll go to play United with their tails up. But I think United tactically 
are very astute. Um, and I think they'll press, they'll high press because they've they've got the energy to be able to do that for a continued amount of time and they'll really ask questions of City. Arsenal-Chelsea then to follow on Sunday. Arsenal, 29 goals in six league matches this season, nearly five a game. But since they hammered Chelsea at, at Kings Meadow a couple of years ago, Chelsea won all the six subsequent meetings, including 4-1 in the League Cup last month. How do you see this one go? Well... Arsenal having that defeat to Manchester United really exposed some weakness in midfield that I think Emma Hayes will capitalise on. There are some key players missing at the moment, not only in midfield for Arsenal, but, you know, Catley in defence as another example. You know, um, we've had Kim Little missing too. And I I think that there's some really quality players that, that Arsenal can't seem to substitute at the moment. So if you look at squad depth, Chelsea have it in abundance and Arsenal, I think, are being exposed as to not having it enough. Um, and that could be what comes into play for this one. Chelsea, I think, as the reigning champions, that game in hand, they're the ones to put some pressure on Manchester United at the top. And don't take anything away from the number of goals scored. So Arsenal have done very well in that regard. They're not going to score five against Chelsea. I'll be happy to hang my hat on that now and say that. Um, But I do think goal difference could come down to the, the final title at the end of the season. It could come down to that. So it will be interesting whether whether Beth England plays for Chelsea, given that she scored two at the weekend, um, and maybe starts over Sam Kerr. Frank Kirby isn't isn't going to be an option, I don't think. I don't think she'll be back from injury in time. But Emma Hayes has got some some nice attacking options to to throw at Arsenal. So we'll see. Yep, set to be an exciting weekend there. Uh, Right, coming up, poetry. But first, let's get some odds from Lee Price from Paddy Power. Hello, listeners. It's International Week. I know, boo hiss. But actually, it's kind of a big deal for me. My boss said they might tune in. So I want to riff off a few topical bits and bobs. Reacts to the headlines, you know. What can I talk about? Let's have a look. Sport news. Greg Clark resigns after exposing himself as totally out of touch with modern society. Christ. Nothing funny about that. Let's try normal news. Here we go. Students to go home from university in evacuation style operation. Bloody hell. Brilliant. Stinks of the lols. Not. Fine. Politics. Surely. Donald Trump. Here we go. Trump still thinks he's won the US election. Oh, for God's sake. Fine. I'll just read the numbers. Mixed news for the two British teams involved in Euro playoffs. We make Northern Ireland the favourite to beat Slovakia, albeit narrowly. They're 8-5 to five to win at Windsor Park. But Serbia are odds-on to beat Scotland, sadly, with Steve Clark's men, no relation to the aforementioned dinosaur, 9-2 to two to win in Belgrade. While the big Paddy Power derby, that's me against the rest of my colleagues in Power Tower, sees England the heavy 1-4 to favourites to beat Ireland. Get in there! A 2-0 England win, by the way, with goals from Grealish and Rice, is priced at 160-1. to one. And yes, I'm only feeling brave, because I won't be going back to the Irish office until the new year. Perhaps the best my boss isn't listening after all. Try for now. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Uh, on this day in football history, uh, 38th anniversary of the day, former European Footballer of the Year, Alan Simonson, turned up at Charlton from Barcelona. Uh, it begs the question for... For most surprising signings ever. Um, Dom, I was thinking about Palace and this category. Can you offer any advance on Attilio Lombardo or Thomas Brolin? Edgar Davids. Oh, wow. I'd totally forgotten that. So, yeah. <laughs> so had I. <laughs> <laughs> Rubinho at Man City. I remember just being like, what? And this is the start of Manchester City changing, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. He didn't even know where he'd gone, did he? He thought it was <laughs> <No>. Chelsea <laughs> and then Manchester United. So... Uh... One of my favourites, actually, is uh, Robert Yarney signed for Coventry from Real Betis in 98, but then without playing a single game for them, joined Real Madrid. And the rumour was always that Betis didn't, wouldn't sell him to Madrid. So Madrid basically rang up Coventry and said, will you act as a sort of fence for us, essentially? So um, That happened you know. with uh, Gabriel Heinz, didn't it? They, they, they tried to do that uh, when he was at Manchester United and Liverpool mm. wanted to sign him. Or, 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 yeah, yeah. It was that way, wasn't it? <laughs> Was it Lewandowski nearly signed for? Was it was it someone like Bolton? Blackburn, Blackburn, yeah. Blackburn, oh, Blackburn that's right, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
they had a few of those, I think, didn't they, Blackburn? What, I mean, I was thinking from a Wolves perspective, Lindsay, John DeWolf <laughs> just gives me the, the chance. Oh, to I love John, John DeWolf. Um, yeah. <laughs> I guess Ruben Neves, when he turned up, you know, yes. now you think of, his, of him as an established Wolves player, but that was massive for him to go into the Championship at that time. Yeah, to go from playing in Champions League and he'd, he'd actually captained, hadn't he? And then, and then to go to the Championship to be part of the bigger Nuno project. Well, yeah, we were all very happy with that. Hence, he got probably the quickest fan song in history. Ravinelli at Middlesbrough was always a go-to one. Wickham Wise, Duncan, am I being way too obvious by saying Roy Eastendale? Yeah, that's that. No, I'm not having that. That was. <laughs> I don't even count that as a signing. It's just an aberration in the space-time continuum. Probably, <laughs> probably Neil Lennon. Actually, I think I mean, when Paul Lambert was our manager, we we got Neil Lennon in, and um, by that stage he was late thirties. He, he couldn't run at all, and I don't think he got out of the centre circle. But his pass completion rate was about ninety-eight percent in every game. So <laughs> it's quite odd. It was odd moments. You look at go, is that Neil Lennon in the middle of the bench? <laughs> Prior to Neves, I, I I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I didn't mention, of course, when we brought in Paul Ince and Robbie Dennison. Yeah, so, nice, yeah, very good. Uh, what about Forrest, Matt? Well, I was just going to say, as you mentioned it, Don, we've got a feature on, on the new Nottingham Forest podcast <laughs> from the Athletic Two Stars called "They Played for Forest," and the person we've gone for this week, uh, thanks to a listener suggestion, Nick Barnby. Anybody remember that Nick yeah. Barnby had six games on loan at Forest? He had an argument with Joe Kinnear at halftime in a game against Derby, walked out the ground never to be seen again. Um, <laughs> he did get a goal in a defeat to Gillingham once and, yeah, I'm having cold sweat, so we'll move on from that. Uh, we did Mink, so now let's do Monk. Gary's left Sheffield Wednesday. The Owls in talks Tony Pulis. Wednesday would become the 10th club that he's managed, um, if the cap fits, etc. and so on. Uh, Sol Campbell's also in the frame, Duncan. Yeah, I, I, when Monk was appointed, actually, I, I pointed out that he was the ninth consecutive Wednesday manager uh, not to have been on a, born on a Wednesday. Um, and the last one who was born on a Wednesday was Paul Sturrock, and he got them promoted. So it seemed like a fairly simple algorithm for the, for the Wednesday board to run when they're looking for a new manager. And excitingly, excitingly, uh, Sol Campbell was born on a Wednesday. So, I mean, oh, you, you know, you heard it, it here in first. The stars. Yeah. He also would feature for our previous conversation when he went to Notts County and mm, Spain. Yeah, good shout. Yeah, there you go. quite. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've been writing about Sol Campbell, haven't you, Dom? I have. I, I, I met him a couple of weeks back for a, a feature on on the lack of defending in the top flight, and he he was talking then about how desperate he was to get back into management. He, his his first two managerial positions at Macclesfield and Southend were were. At, basket cases of clubs unfortunately and financial issues um and obviously a bit of a a difficult well certainly a baptism of fire for for soul at top level management but he, he is eager to get back in and I, that would have it would have been really interesting had had he progressed at, at wednesday because i think that would have fit fitted the bill um for him uh, a club with a with a, so much potential um and one that hopefully is coming out the other side of of their own financial issues but, but yeah, that, that, that's an aside because I'm not writing at all about his managerial career. I'm writing about his move to, to Arsenal back in 2001 and he really won't want to talk about that at all. <laughs> uh, yeah, people tend to forget about, about Sol Campbell. The job he did at Macclesfield with what's happened to them subsequently it was amazing that he managed mm. to, to keep them in the league for, for another season. Uh, in other news, Danny Drinkwater's commissioned Whitefoot Productions to produce a highlight reel for him as he seeks a move away from Chelsea. Uh, the video highlights his habit of scoring from outside the box. Totally, his vast brigade of legal counsel have prohibited me from commenting any further on that. Uh, shades here of Michael Owen's 32-page brochure he released in 2009 uh, as he was after a move away from Newcastle. He signed for Man United, so Fergie obviously liked it. Now, I I've had a look at this document so that you don't have to. Well, I worked on it, Matt. Did you? Yeah. Did you do, did you do the brand values page? Yeah, that was all me. Yeah, the old articulate, <laughs> charismatic, clean and fresh. Um, no, there was. He's a, not making that up. They, those are words used to describe Michael <laughs> Owen in this document. Global. Um, no, mind. There was also a page around his, uh, like his attacking stats and stuff. Um, yeah, and I remember when. Yeah, I'll let you carry on. But it was. Uh, well, it's, I guess did it work? I suppose so. 
Yeah, same for Man United. So when you were given that task, did did, did you think that it was a wind-up? Because surely it's not a, a regular well, thing. Well, for... yeah, it's very unusual that a player or, a, you know, representatives of a player would come and, and ask for their own kind of, uh, uh, you know, the information to build their own kind of case. But, yeah, there it was, so... It pleases me to know that the power of the written word in a brochure <laughs> still has some weight over a YouTube video. So yeah. um, that, that list of his brand values, by the way, it wasn't written by Duncan. It was written by Alan Partridge, I think. Just a list of adjectives. Uh, <laughs> fit and healthy, first class, good looking and cool. I couldn't find the bit in the 32-page uh, booklet <laughs> oh, that mentioned him killing rabbits with his car or his thoughts on any of the 10 movies he's watched. But maybe I didn't read it deeply enough. Uh, finally, Liverpool moving away from Melwood, the training ground synonymous with the club since the 50s. They're heading to the new AXA training centre in Kirkby. It's inspired Liverpool legend Robbie Fowler to compose a poem on Instagram dedicated to Melwood. I'll read it to you now. Oh, you're going to deliver it to us? Oh, yeah. Oh, OK. It began as a kid, so many late nights, just off the bus to see the delights. From highway to Macca and rush through to Yates, so many legends have shone through those gates. I was there, I'm proud to say, forever in debt I did get to play so many memories of where it began. Dalgleish, Evans, the great Ronnie Moran. Pristine conditions of what once was mud. The fabulous home we now call Melwood. It, it falls down a bit at the end, Duncan, because mud and wood don't really rhyme. But it's, an, it's, it's a sweet effort. Yeah, I mean, I, th I feel Ronnie Moran has benefited from having <laughs> A-N at the end of his surname. But yeah, it's good. Could have been Igor Bishkan, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, true, yeah, there was something special about Melwood. I mean, there genuinely was something special about it. And the it, kids it was, standing on bins and looking over the fence to to see. To a certain extent, I once yeah. Well, I've, yeah. I mean, I was <laughs> lucky enough to 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 spend a lot of time there for whilst covering Liverpool, and and it is it, it, there was a sort of mystique about it. It was it wasn't like a swish. It wasn't like, like the Cobham Training Centre or the you know the Etihad Complex at, in Manchester or, or even. Carrington, it was slap bang in the middle of of Liverpool, you know, surrounded by residential streets and a burnt out pub over the road, um, where the players used to go drinking after training back in the day. Um, and you, you got a sense, even when they did the rebuilding work of it, you got the sense that this was the same place where journalists would turn up, just rock up, up daily, and go and have a coffee with a with the manager. You know, back in back in the days of Shankly, etc. I mean, it was it was it had that air to it, and and they. Everything they did with it had this it maintained that sort of link to history, that romanticism. I mean, there was it was frightening as well. I remember sitting out outside there the day that, well, the night that Stephen Gerrard handed in a transfer request and tried to push through a move to to Chelsea, and sitting in a, in my car outside my world because they wouldn't let us in. I'm tapping away on my laptop, writing an intro saying Stephen Gerrard last night handed in a transfer request at Liverpool and kids looking in through the window of my car seeing it, getting very angry and rocking the car until I drove off and <laughs> sped around the corner. And it had that sort of edge to it, but but an amazing place and, and sort of, you know, ingrained in Liverpool Football Club's history. Uh, footballers and the arts, back to Robbie Fowler. Uh, Lindsay, would you rather have on your wall a Robbie Fowler poem or, or a, a Jodie Craddock picture the former Wolves defender oh, quite Jody the Jodie Craddock painting or Jodie Craddock's son by the way because he's such a savvy businessman Jodie Craddock that he's actually trained and, and taught his son how to to make the art that he's been doing and, and there's a few that you'll you'll probably see if you do a google search and they look identical so he can sell double the amount now <laughs> wow nice, that is savvy yeah. not even Van Gogh tried that <laughs> <laughs> He played for the Dutch that night, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can't all be as lyrical as Robbie Fowler, but we'll certainly try to add some colour to our praise when the Totally Football Show returns on Monday to look back at all the big international action from the weekend. Until then, many thanks to Dom, Lindsay and Duncan and producer Charlie and mostly to you, dear listener. Have a great weekend. We'll catch up with you on Monday. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.